Why should you visit TheChairShot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. never cared the answer is the union underground mm-hmm. something about underground I knew that well we'll be talking about that in just a few moments good evening afternoon whenever you're listening and welcome to the reaction of presentation here of the Chairshot radio network live on the chairshot.com I am your host my name is Terry Broadhurst joining me once again fresh off of his vacation the Delta J1 co-host, Tony Acero. Oh, and what a show to come back to. All right, well, the good news is, is we're going to talk about the fun episode of SmackDown first instead. Because SmackDown didn't uh, suck. Well, at least, you're right. At least I didn't think SmackDown sucked. I thought SmackDown was actually pretty good. But Raw, oh boy, we got a lot to discuss some of which we might not want to, some of which I'm going to refrain from out of, well, whatever's left of my sanity, honestly. Tony, that show gave me a migraine. Yeah, I, I, I've never wanted to quit mid-episode, but, man, this was close. All right, let's talk about the fun one first, though. First of all, how was your vacation? Uh, ups and downs, you know, uh, a lot of... Um, difficulties with regards to the site. I was either on the road or in a place that didn't have the best service just to do the Raw Report or SmackDown or AEW. Um, But everything's back to, well, I mean, I can't call it normal, you know, and I don't want to call it the new normal, but, you know, I'm doing what we can. I'm definitely still on the site, definitely still running the restaurant and bar. Uh, Miss the podcast. Uh, I will say that AEW has been doing some really, really uh, good things, which has kind of brought back a little bit of fire into the, you know, weekly recap things. Then for the sake of your sanity, don't check out the women's tag team tournament show today. Just don't do it. Yeah, well, I didn't really have much interest in it. Um, And I I want to clarify, not because they're women, but um, it's kind of like if you you put it on AEW Dark, which has been – pretty fun considering it's a you know 
a glorified heat, um, it doesn't really pique my interest. Now that I have so much wrestling to watch, I kind of have a, a limited, um, you know, spending, if you will, of time that I can give to wrestling. So, unfortunately, if it's on dark, I can't watch it, and I'm not going to spend some time. I'm not going to make time to watch it either. To be fair with dark, they're already running an hour and ten minutes with those shows. They don't need to be making them any longer, but that's neither here nor there. Let's talk about what we didn't get a chance to discuss earlier this month. Let's talk Extreme Rules. Any major takeaways from the pay-per-view earlier this Well, technically last month now that we're into August. Oh, geez, Harry, I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Barely remember what you covered on SmackDown. Do you remember what you covered on SmackDown? (laughs) I pulled up my report for that, so yeah, we're good on that front. As far as Extreme Rules go, um, not an awful show, but not not a standout show either. It's going to be remembered mostly for what they didn't do, and that's specifically in regards to the booking and the fact that they didn't book clean finishes for, like, three different matches. The Oscar-Sasha match with with, uh, Bailey counting the pinfall, the U.S. title match not happening due to forfeit, but, I mean, there's only so much you can do with that. The other thing was the uh, eye for an eye match, and I wanted to get your opinion on that there. How did you feel on a scale of one to five Seth Rollins blowing chunks? Uh, I thought that entire thing was idiotic, lacked any. I just, I, those guys can put on a great match, and with the bulk of the focus being on how to poke out an eye, and then it resulting in a fake eye, and then resulting in Rey Mysterio on the road to recovery, meaning it was all no, there, there was no point to it. There was no point other than the one that drove into, that was driven into Rey Mysterio's eye. It was, that just, uh, that was dumb. <laughs> I thought the match was really good until the finish. Yeah, and like I said, they, they could put on a solid match. And I just don't see any one person asking for that match and any one person accepting that match, you know, even even the maniacal Seth Rollins, especially considering he's supposed to be some like you know dipshit, and then Ray, like I don't I don't know, just, it did not work for me the entire storyline. All right, let's take it a step even further into the ridiculous and go to the swamp fight. I didn't even watch that. Sorry. You missed Alexa as Sister Abigail. She was really hot as Sister Abigail. I mean, she's also hot as Alexa, so. I'm, that's fair. Uh, I'm, I'm getting a message from Greg DeMarco saying we have to be better. Tell um, Greg DeMarco. Well, first of all, kiss my ass. Second of all, let the WWE do better, and then I'll do better. I meant specifically in referring to Alexa as hot. Oh, well, that that whole picture, you remember that whole picture with the puppy and the puppies and the bikini and the, you know. Let's let's move on. Break. Let's move on, shall we? Please do. I completely agree with you, by the way. (laughs) 
And in regards to I agree with you, I am referring to what we're going to discuss to start SmackDown, and that is the AJ Styles Grand Metal League match. Nothing actively wrong with the match, but you never felt like Metal League actually had a snowball's chance in hell of winning the Intercontinental title. Yeah, okay. So I got a lot of fun. Well, not a lot, but I got some people that were a little bit upset with me with regards to this match because they wanted me to look, um, I guess, the glass half full type where at least praise Metal League for doing good or whatever the case may be. Uh, Me putting down the idea of the match and what we saw is not belittling Grand Metal League, especially considering there's nothing to belittle. He is essentially nothing in terms of what the show has presented. As a wrestler and as a performer, he's amazing, he's great, and he kicked ass in the Cruiserweight Challenge. That's not what I'm. Uh, that's not what I'm bothered by, and I'm, I'll get to this a little later with regards to Raw. When you look at the WWE, they got an entire roster full of people that are amazing, the highest quality of wrestlers. And I want to make it very clear that there's no way in hell that I could insult any one person on the level of performance, of athletic skill, and ability, because a they could do it better than I ever will be able to or ever could, and b. They're badasses that are on the road and still find a way to work out and, you know, do everything that they're doing. So that's not whatever what I'm talking about. So when I turn to Grand Metal League and get, look at the opportunity that was given to them, it's great, and it resulted in a good match. But Sorry, I live near a train. But the end result is it was a glorified cover match. It was a squash match. Metal League got his shit in, and that's about it, and then AJ won. And you never doubted for a second that AJ wasn't going to win. Also, the follow-up is very important with me, and we've talked about that for years now. What happened immediately after their match? Grand Metal League just moved on. Like, oh, well, (laughs) all right, no big deal there. I didn't get my ass handed to me and my friend attacked from behind, so let me just go after some tag team goals. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't have any believability. And you spent so long making these people mean nothing. Not only that, Lince got dropped with a Styles clash. It was no selling it basically an hour later. Well, yeah, I mean, even that, like that, even that's minuscule compared to the idea that these fools aren't even the least bit upset. Like, like, what does that say? You know, as a as a performer, like, oh well, didn't get it. Better get it next time. There is no next time for you guys. There's never a next time. There is a like, next. Apparently, there is a next. Apparently, there is a next All right, we need a signal or something here because a lot of lines are getting crossed. I think we're off we're off skew with the with the uh, timing. Apparently, the next time is going to be for the tag team titles. Yeah, well, that's not that's not a next time. That's not what I mean. That's you just moving on with no rhyme or reason. Like what? <laughs> and again, you know, unfortunately, we're looking at the so there's this double edged sword here where. I could complain for weeks about how, you know, we're not, they're not believable characters and we can't believe that they would even be willing or they'd be able to win. Well, after a certain amount of time, you have to start believing because they're putting their, you know, their push behind them. But as of right now, we don't have that. We have nothing to base this on. They, they have not been people that we could rely on to win anything, whether it be an IC title match or a tag team title match. 
No, I completely agree with you. I think it's asinine to expect us to believe them as viable tag team title threats when they were just in the ring getting their asses handed to them in a two-on-one against AJ Styles. Yep. But I, dig- I digress. Let's move on. What are, you, what are you thinking of the Saturday night's main event style promos that they're doing at the start of the show now? Do you like it? Do you dislike it? I don't dislike it. It's fine. It's a nice way to summarize things. It kind of gives it a uh, a precursor of, like, this is what's going down tonight. It's not really offensive, you know, so it's cool. It's a little cheesy, but, it's, it's I mean, I've seen way worse. <laughs> I was going to say, to be fair, if cheesy is our biggest complaint, I think we're making progress. Yeah, they don't have right, particularly. To... Go ahead. Well, no, I just said I don't mind. There are some wrestlers who you would you'd question, like, would they even be willing to do that? Like, that doesn't seem very in character for them. Um so those are those are the weird ones, but that that's literally digging a little too deep. Just you know, just let it be. That's one of the things I'll let be. All right, so I kind of want to tie this and then what, the next segment and what happens later on in the show together. So I'll come back to it in a few seconds. We'll go to the Jeff Hardy segment next, and the Jeff Hardy segment sees. Hardy coming out and talking about defeating his demons with Sheamus and how he's ready to move on. And here comes Baron Corbin because we can't let Jeff Hardy move the fuck on. Remember how a couple of weeks ago when we did the show and they were still doing the Hardy the Hardy famous feud and you said that it seems like they tell the same story with Jeff because they do always tell the same story with Jeff? Yep. Chalk another one up into that line for the telling the same story with Jeff. But to a counterpoint, after Corbin is attacked from behind by Drew Gulak to start a single contest, during that match, Corbin picks up the victory with the end of days. First of all, what did you think of the match? Uh, I, again, Corbin is not bad when he's going against, you know, people that are um, not his stature. And, of course, you got Drew Gulak, so, you know, it's not that. I just, uh, I think um, he was a little shorter than it should have been because if you're, I, I don't know what to believe with, or I don't know how to feel about Drew Gulak. I feel like he's just kind of on the show. Um, he's not a threat, but he was when Daniel Bryan was wrestling him. So what does that mean, you know? Harold Shit I was muted I'm trying to um, Keep myself from talking over you What I was (laughs) saying What I meant to say was Is I think the person who has suffered the most From Daniel Bryan taking time off For prospective fatherhood for a second time Has been Drew Gulak Because Gulak was a primal focus of the show When Bryan was there Specifically playing up that 
coach mentality that Gulak had with Brian. And now that Brian stepped away in order to be with Bree and his new newborn child, Gulak suffered in terms of TV time and in terms of stature. <laughs> Not intentional, but we'll go with it. Anyway. So post-match, Matt Riddle, well, during the match, Matt Riddle comes out to try to distract Corbin. It doesn't work. Corbin picks up the win. But post-match, Riddle jumps into the ring and attacks Corbin for the save to be made by Shorty Chad Gable. A, backstage segment with Corbin and Gable to kind of bury their past here, and then Gable steps up to attempt to collect on the King's ransom here. Did you like the little mini segment between the two to kind of put the heat between them behind them and to focus on the fact that Gable's a killer and willing to do what it takes in order to collect on the bounty? Um, No, not particularly. I mean, on one hand, I enjoy that they're giving him something to do. But yet again, and this is going to be a a repetitive issue here tonight, it just doesn't make sense character-wise. You had a man literally change his name to overcome his bully and make sure that he was not put down. And he ends up siding with that very same bully. Now, one could say, well, there's monetary compensation involved. Um, He could be making a lot of money. I've never got the impression that Shorty G, a.k.a. Chad Gable, a wrestling purist, does this for the money. Two, what the hell is the King's ransom? How much is it? How much is he getting? Three, what exactly does he have to do? Does he kill Matt Riddle? Does he cut off one of his foot and wear it as a lucky rabbit's foot? Like, what is – there's so much that's just not clear here that would make me, a wrestler, not even interested in it. Because what, the, what does it entail? What do, I, what do I get? What does he get? There's just – no, I'm sorry. I, I can't. I'm okay with it to an extent, A, because it gets Gable back on television. And – because I think Gable feels slighted at the fact that he hasn't had the opportunities that maybe other people have. And he views this as his opportunity to let people know that, hey, Chad Gable's a fucking threat. Even if he is still using a stupid ring name. Well, I mean, I would hope that he loses that ring name and goes back to Chad Gable at the very least. This, this, uh, again, it's not that I don't want this stuff to happen. It's that I'm saying it can't happen. I'm just saying that the way they're doing it isn't good. It's, it lacks consistency. The characters are not, you know, three-dimensional. They're not fully-fledged characters. They're not rounded out. So now this is just uh, just weird. It's, I'm not – of course I'm going to accept it because that's what they're going with. And it may get better next week, but – I. I like to fully expect them to change Gable's name back. And if they do, then that'll be the best thing to come out of all. Go Gable. Biggie versus Miz in a singles contest. Actually, thought Biggie did really well here, but in fairness, him and Miz have had plenty of matches in the past, both tag team and singles, so there's a good bit of chemistry there. I did like the fact that they told the story that Biggie was able to overcome the odds. And I'm going to get your thoughts on two things here. One, the match in general. And two, how do you feel about Big E's using it to finish? Um, okay, so the match is great. I think that um, Big E and The Miz did really, really well. I think that they gave them enough time um, 
they uh, they didn't make it too one-sided. Thank God it wasn't a squash because I was really, really concerned about that. Um, my only issue with the match would be commentary. What was your second question, though? Your thoughts on Big E finishing with a submission move? Um, okay, well, yeah, they're trying to give him an added fold, which is fine. So, like, the performance I didn't have an issue with. The... Um, the, the the end result, the entire match, the submission, all that's fine. And he it looks badass. It was more than just a stretch muffler. That thing was vicious. So I enjoyed it. Almost like the but, old Brock walk. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, actually, I got called out in the um, uh, comment section because I didn't call it the Brock lock. And I, I'll, I'll, you know, like I said, I couldn't even remember Extreme Rules. So, of course, that slipped my mind completely. Well, it, I mean, Lesnar actually, like, sat down with his and swung his opponent, so it wasn't a full Brock lock, but I get where the comparisons are made because of the the amount of viciousness applied with the move. <clears throat> it was an, it was an yeah. interesting dimension to add to the Big E character, I think, is the big takeaway here. And I'm all for a Big E singles push if Kofi and Xavier are still missing extended periods of time. Yeah, I, I love that the fact that Big E's getting a push. What I don't like is commentary telling me that he's getting a push. Um, I don't expect him to come out with, like, a black, you know, red, yellow, and green singlet or anything like that. And I also don't think that Booker T's correct in saying that he needs to change his entire persona or whatever. However, I don't need commentary telling me that Big E doesn't know how to be a singles wrestler because this is the same guy that used to ask for a fucking five count. So harping on it throughout this entire match for damn near 15 minutes that they're not 100% sure whether Big E can do this or not, it's just kind of defeating. And I, I don't know. I didn't like it. I, I think that rather than continuously doubt whether he could or couldn't, they would have done much better with just being like, this man can, and he will, and he's going to. You mentioned the five count. Let's not also forget that he's a former NXT heavyweight champion, and they put that over in his past as well. Right. I mean, NXT wasn't to the level that it is now back then, but still, he's a former singles champion. So, not to mention he's a former Intercontinental champion as well. So you're almost you're almost devaluing your titles by saying that he's not competitive as a singles wrestler. Now, the way to phrase that would have been that he would be rusty as a singles wrestler because he hasn't been one in so long. Right. And even that, like, like, man, I don't know. I, I think that belittles the performance of a wrestler. Miz has been teaming with Morrison. Why weren't they saying that he was, you know, fatigued or couldn't quite handle it? Like, I don't know. It's just it's very short-sighted storytelling, and it, I think it did more damage, at least in this one episode, um, than than good. To touch on the other thing that you brought up with the discussion of Biggie there, in regards to the Booker, Booker T thing. I like Booker. I respect Booker, but Booker needs to shut the fuck up. <laughs> Let's move on. We already discussed Grand Metalik and Lince Dorado approaching Cesaro and Nakamura for a tag team title shot, which is short-sighted booking at best and ineffectual booking at worst. Sheamus is now looking to be a problem for the rest of the SmackDown locker room. Tony, would you believe that Sheamus has been in the WWE for 14 years? That boy looks great. 
you wouldn't be able to tell that he's as old as he is because he's got himself into arguably the best shape of his career. We didn't get a chance to talk about it last week. What did you think of the bar fight? Uh, the bar fight itself was fun for what it was. You know, it was it, admittedly it was fun. The ending was kind of dumb, but um, they had a nice little. Brawl. That was. Yeah, that was my that was my big takeaway too. Is like I thought the match itself was good for what it was. It felt. I, I don't want to say real because you know you you can only say real so much in regards to wrestling, but. It felt like there was legitimate beef between the two of them while they were fighting, and so they went the almost science fictiony route with the finish. Mm-hmm. Naomi picks up a victory over Lacey Evans, pinning her with a backslide that apparently Lacey thought she kicked out of in time, which means we're going to get another referee bias storyline, perhaps. Or does Naomi deserve better? So, I mean, my biggest concern with this entire thing is that the WWE is hammering it over the head that they're essentially doing us a favor. Like, I mean, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it's just like, it's one thing to let it happen just organically, but no, they wanted to remind us that they saw us on Twitter and they listened to the hashtag and here they are giving us what we've been demanding and asking and then giving us kind of just crappiness, like, it's not, you know, I don't know, it just wasn't. i got to be honest, I've never seen seen anything special in Naomi personally. I think she's just another hand, personally, from what I've seen. I've said it from the jump. I think that I think that she needs a little bit more training. I think that she could be a really solid character. I remember when she was just coming up that we were we were thinking that it would be really hard to translate. And I think when she was the, um, you know, she was standing up for her daughter and everything. It was somewhat annoying, but I, I believed it. I believed that, right? And then out of nowhere, she turned heel again, and now she's back to the original incarnation, which just wasn't really all that appealing. Well, I said Naomi. I actually like where they've gone with, I kind of like what they're doing with Lacey. I feel like Lacey's a better natural heel. Mandy and Sonya continues episode 4,372, or at least it feels that way. That being said, mm-hmm. pretty legit beat down from Sonya here. Are, are we going to go the Molly Holly route? Are we going to see Sonya get her head shaved in, in, in response? You know, I... I really enjoy More importantly, do you care? I do. You know, I do care. I want to give these girls the props because I feel like this is a moment where the WWE said, all right, ladies, what do you got? And they kind of let them run with it. And I think that they've been doing an okay job with a few hiccups here and there, most of them involving Dolph Ziggler. Um, <laughs> but this backstage beatdown was pretty brutal. Um if it results in Sonya being bald, I mean, more power to her. If the girl's willing to do that for the sake of a story and for wrestling, that's fucking awesome. And she, again, continues to impress with her dedication to the craft. Let's not forget where, the last, where we saw these girls before WWE and how little anyone believed in them, including me.
I think you're muted again. Miz and Morrison get involved in the aftermath, whereas Tucker and Otis end up chasing them away. Any interest in Miz and Morrison versus Heavy Machinery, or maybe even expanding it out into a sick person? Um, sure, why not? <laughs> I think the thing with the Mandy and Sonya feud is it's always had moving parts. Otis for Mandy has been the one constant, but Sonya had uh, Dolph Ziggler as backup, and now that Ziggler's on Raw, it's almost like Sonya needs different backup if that's the route that they want to go here. Because apparently Sonya is not AJ Styles and cannot fight her battles on her own. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I like the intersecting stories, and I mean, you know, I haven't seen Tucker in a while. Might as well give him something to do. Um, and I just, I was, I was completely enthralled by Mandy versus Sonya. I thought that that was a nice look. Sonya's just nuts. It used to be like, okay, that makes sense. Now she's full kilt, you know, full tilt psycho, and I think that might work for her. <laughs> But isn't it kind of problematic that, like, crazy bitch is the default in WWE? Um, in this particular instance, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing because she isn't crazy for no reason, okay? She, as opposed to just randomly someone, some chick starts screaming because that's what they do. Main event is Bailey versus Nikki Cross for the SmackDown Women's title. Bailey ends up retaining cleanly this time. Face first, going face first across, putting Nikki face first across her knee in order to pick up the three count. Post matches, what we'll talk about more here, but for the sake of the actual conversation on the show, what did you think of the women's title match? Um, it was fun. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. Uh, um, obviously, we're getting uh, what looks like a possibly a uh, Nikki turn or at least some frustration. Um, I don't know. One thing I want to give Nikki props for is I feel like when she started the match, she did not stop until it was over. There was no pause. There was no reprieve. And they went for a good 10 minutes. And, um, yeah, it was it was nice. Post-match is what everybody's going to talk about, though, with Alexa attempting to comfort Nikki and Nikki shoving her down. You mentioned the fact that they seem to be kind of teasing a, a Nikki and Alexa split there and possibly even a Nikki heel turn out of it. And then while Alexa is vulnerable, here comes the theme. To stare down Alexa at first, and then we get the mandible claw to Alexa Bliss as we go off the air. Two-part question. First part is the one that's going to be kind of the, uh, first part is going to be the one that's kind of the controversial one here. Are you okay with this usage of male women violence? Yeah, it's something they kind of shied away from. It didn't really cross my mind. I mean, I don't. That would be anybody that complains about that would I would assume is the same people that are complaining about intergender wrestling on Twitter. Like it's a performance. It's a performance art. These are two people that are performers. They agree to this, no matter how good or bad the storyline is, and um, they just, I don't know, man. I, I have no issue with it. Pretty sure Alexa didn't either. 
Everyone the Phoenix touch has changed. Do you think we kind of see see Alexa lean more towards Wyatt now, similar to what they kind of teased with the swamp fight? Nah, she's going to be, like, traumatized, and that's about it. And last question for this year is, are you surprised that they went the route of Wyatt using Alexa to get into Braun Strowman's head? No, I think they had it planned. Um, maybe not the details, but they, you know, they figured it out. And that's, no, I'm not surprised. Overall show rating for SmackDown? Um, I don't remember. I think I gave it like a 7 or an 8, so I'll just say 7.5. I'm going to land it at 7.5 as well. I thought SmackDown was very good top to bottom, and while I may have disagreed with little things here and there, overall the show held my interest for the two hours that it was on, which is more than we can say about tonight's episode of Raw, Tony. Oh, man, here we go. Do you want to just rip the Band-Aid off and get this off out of the way first and foremost? I mean, it, it's the whole show. I don't even know what Band-Aid you want me to rip off. This thing is one gaping asshole of horribleness. Let's talk Raw Underground, Tony. All right. All right, hold on. Before before we continue any further, eight more than MMA. More what? MMA. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Good point, good point. I am not a mixed martial arts fan by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not that guy that you're going to see ordering UFC pay-per-views. I'm not that guy that's going to run to a B-dubs in order to catch a show or a fight night or whatever. I genuinely don't care about mixed martial arts. The thing is, is I respect mixed martial arts, though, because of the fact that they genuinely beat the fuck out of each other. This is making a mockery of mixed martial arts. And doing so with valuable airtime that could be used to, I don't know, actually try to get people fucking over. Go ahead, Tony, before I really lose my cool. Okay, so at best, this was a one-off production to give MVP Lashley and Shelton Benjamin a little bit of an edge. If that was the case. They did it very, very incorrectly um, because the three men who looked amazing in their suits, by the way, beat up nobody we care about, first of all, went completely against the characters that they've created, second of all. And by what I mean by that, what I mean by that is MVP is the manager we have believed to only do something if money is involved, to only put his clients in jeopardy if they're going to be making money or get that prize purse or have that ball in moment. This was not that. A fight club or whatever Raw Underground may be was not monetary compensation by any means. So basically what we had was MVP going against character. Just completely against character. It doesn't make sense. Why would I think the only person who I believed in was maybe Lashley because when doesn't Lashley want to beat somebody's ass, right? So that's possibly the only catch I could get. That's at best. At worst, this was 
garbage. This was complete bullshit. You had four chicks, three to four chicks dancing that nobody cared about that weren't there for any reason. They weren't on the screen long enough for any, even per, the most perverted of males to care about. So they were there for no reason. Then you had the worst attempt of MMA. This was no different than two angry people wrestling on a regular episode of, of Raw. Then you had Eric and Dolph Ziggler do their thing when they did nothing. To, Eric literally had the same move set. So there's nothing I could believe. And then Dolph Ziggler, of all people you put into this segment, for what? That does nothing for any of us. Also, you have people that nobody cares about going against people that nobody cares about. Lastly, you don't have rules. You don't know who's winning or why. You don't know why they're even involved in this or why they would care about this. Why is it in the same arena or performance center, if you will, that the regular show that's supposedly going on is going on? Why is that a thing? Why, why, would, why would anybody care about that or care about what's going on in that other dark room where some dude's blocking the door? Um, and then you have Shane McMahon, who I just I don't get why he would be interested in this, why he would want any of this. So at best, you have a one show over numerous segments to give people hype that already were hyped. And at worst, you have a new piece of raw that nobody's interested in. Okay, so I'm going to touch on a couple of those points. One, the random dancing hoochies. That was attempted sex, sexual gratification for the sake of sexual gratification. They served absolutely no purpose. And the only reason that they were even on screen is because Vince and probably Shane thought, this segment needs strippers. Like, literally, my exact words to Liz were random hoochies. Number two, the reason that Shane was actually involved in this segment, and it kind of makes sense to me, is there are rumors that Shane actually tried to buy UFC before the group led by Dana White did. Shane is a known mixed martial arts fan. So I'm a little bit more forgiving of Shane's involvement here. I'm also a Shane McMahon apologist. If you're a fan of MMA, tonight should have pissed you off. So I don't, I'm not saying I don't buy that, but he did a disservice to the, to the sport that he's in love with. Or it's a way for him to take a shot at the company that wouldn't let him buy it in the first place, because we all know the McMahons are petty. Okay, we move on. The next thing about this whole thing that didn't make any fucking sense. Dolph Ziggler. Yeah, super. College wrestler. I don't know how that translates to getting punched in the face by somebody. And the entire time, he doesn't do anything of interest. And forgive me for not thinking that Dolph Ziggler's stripes are on the level of what you would expect to see at a mixed martial artist gym. The Eric thing. <laughs> Okay, here's here's the problem with that, with the whole Eric Eric being in the ring thing. Eric, Ray Monroe is a legitimate badass. But you did a disservice to him, you did a disservice to his teammate, and you did a disservice to their gimmick by putting him in a situation where he wasn't the Viking Raider Eric. He was just Eric of the Viking Raiders. That makes sense. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, I don't. This so the entire segment was. It's like if it's it's on the same show, you by nature are going to compare it to what it's surrounded by. So am I supposed to believe that this is more real than what I'm seeing on the screen? Should I believe what's happening underground more than Montez Ford being poisoned? Should I get upset at, you know, Ziggler beating some ass, but be like, oh, Seth Rollins is, you know, not going to get hurt by Samoa Joe because he's a commentator. Like, you're, you created a divide. You literally said, this is raw underground. This is more intense. This is no rules, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so what are you saying about your current product? Because this isn't an alternative. This is a slap in the face. And then you got the wrestlers that we've been watching forever go in there and do what we've already seen them do. They weren't doing anything different. Roe hit his knee, his little, you know, over the back into the, into the knee thing. That's no different than anything we've seen. In fact, one could argue that he smacks harder when there's ropes. <laughs> um, and then I think one thing I forgot to mention, even the way that it was produced, that was Kevin Dunn all over the place. That was every single hit was a cut from the left to the right. Camera A, B, C, A, B, A, B, A, C. So it, it didn't even look different than Raw. How am I supposed to believe that this is different? Why would I want to know? Why would I want to watch this over the regular show? And what is it supposed to be doing? Uh, let's not forget the replays, too, at the end. Uh, yeah, because our, our underground Raw is sophisticated enough to have a replay system. This is that wasn't the dumbest fucking thing to happen on this show. Molotov cocktails in 2020, Tony. <clears throat> okay, so Jesus fucking not, Christ. Not only are there Molotov cocktails in 2020, but we're looking at a state-of-the-art multi-million-dollar facility called the WWE Performance Center, and they have an outside generator plugged in with like 20 plugs. What? <laughs> and, and aside from that, you're watching the show, and the most inconvenient thing that happened was that the lights went out for two seconds. That's not chaos. That's annoyance. That's like a fly on your fucking face when you're eating a burrito. Like, you're bugging me, but you're not doing enough impact. What did NXT do? I'm sorry. What did, the, um, what did Nexus do when they wanted to make an impact? They choked fools out and beat up John Cena. Now, I don't know who these four plus one are. I don't know who they are. And maybe we'll get a little bit more next week, which is fine, because I like episodic television. I like waiting a week to see what's going down. But I'm letting you know right now, this week, they tipped over a box full of junk, and they threw fire at a generator. They made the beginning of the show a little bit inconvenient and weird. They made it look unprofessional. They annoyed Peyton Royce, which is probably the biggest crime that they committed. So who are we to – and then why are they dressed in the same thing that the ninjas that Akira has? <laughs> it's just I don't think I don't think anybody's going to care. I don't think anybody does care. I don't care until you give me a reason to care, and then throwing Molotov cocktails at a generator is not reason for me to care. To your Nexus point, and I thought I think that's an excellent an excellent bring up here is when Nexus made their debut impact, they made their debut impact in the area where it mattered, ringside. They came in, they beat up John Cena, they beat up CM Punk, they beat down announcers, they 
choked out Justin Roberts with a neck, necktie. Okay, that was probably a bad idea. They destroyed the announce table. They destroyed the ringside area. They cut the canvas off of the ring to expose the actual wood underneath the ring, which is something the WWE had never done before. They made it look like they were actual shit disturbers because they did so in a way that actually disturbed shit. This caused a moderate inconvenience for about 30 seconds. Combined. Yeah, if that. And they they completely forgot about it the second and third hour. It didn't even matter. <laughs> I picked the I wrong week to I mean, stop sniffing glue, Tony. If it is anybody from the NXT roster, I think that the gimmick is unfortunately saddled before it even starts. Because what would they be mad about? A. B. They're ruining the performance center that's they perform at, <laughs> or that they train at. Like, why would they want to demolish the area that they're a part of? Like, I, I, I don't know. Well, we'll give it a week before we go too far as far as criticizing that one, but it just sounds, it, it just, today, the horrible of just really, really bad writing. Let me ask you this. Are we being a little bit more generous to, towards this because of the shit show that was Raw Underground? I'm not being generous towards anything I, because they didn't they didn't story of whoever people may be. I'm going to let them have a week off or a week to tell me what's going on. I want to be the person that says I want long-term storytelling and then get mad because it's horrible, you know? And Raw Underground that that shit's going to that's just dead on arrival. There's no, I don't see any potential growth from there. But this storyline, maybe they could salvage it. Maybe there's a reason that's good enough. Maybe there was a very um, specific reason why they decided to destroy the power. You know, something that they can come up with that they already did come up with because I heard they're filming two weeks and that was just one week. So I'll, I'll let them have some time on that, but I don't have high hopes. One other segment to discuss, and then we'll discuss the matches from tonight's episode of Raw. The segment to discuss is the Drew McIntyre-Randy Orton confrontation. And in my opinion, Tony, this was the best thing on Raw. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of good that came out of this. I like the fact that McIntyre made it personal with Orton because of the fact that he pointed out that he was a struggling guy on the roster in a similar place to where Orton had been many times. And a single word of encouragement or a word towards management to help him could have done wonders for McIntyre, but Orton chose to be selfish. And that's why McIntyre is going to focus on being the kind of champion that's there for everybody the kind of person that's willing to help the next generation, similar to what Taker did. And he talked, Orton uh, gives lip service to Taker for doing inside of the last ride documentary. Yeah, I thought it was very, very well done. And the reason why is because I believed both of them. Um, I love that. See, they left enough on the table for us to eat next week. This wasn't conclusive. This wasn't done at the end of their segment tonight. Randy Orton didn't get his retort. Because when you look at the situation, 
when you look at it from a point of view of like, I don't know, man to man or company, like people that work with you and people that you work with, Randy Orton doesn't really owe Drew shit. He doesn't owe Drew. He didn't owe Drew multiple years ago. He didn't have to go up to him and say, Hey, hope you're doing all right. That's not his burden. That's not his cross to bear. So Randy Orton, as heelish as, as heelish as he may be, is not wrong. He doesn't, Oh, anybody, anything. And yeah, maybe shit was given to him, but who gives a shit? Maybe I should have been fired 20 times, but I don't give a fuck. I wasn't. How's that my problem? I wasn't fired. You can't get mad at me for who my dad is. Like, fuck you. So Randy Orton has a gripe, and he fully believes in himself. And then Drew, a little bit more country boy and a little bit more like one of the boys, watching Taker and really taking that to heart, quoting Edge, saying, you know, Orton wasn't no Stone Cold or The Rock. All that is true and good too. That is that is a different breed of person. That will that's one that wants to see everybody win and wants to see everybody grow. And because he's in a top position, he wants to motivate others to eventually get there. Right? So that also is right. That also is a very good and compelling story and a full fledged, well rounded character. So you put those two together and you realize, oh, you're interested. You're interested in one over the other. You might even be more interested in Orton than you are in Drew, but the fact is you have a side and you're picking it. There's no divisiveness here uh, inter- internally. It's great. That is good storytelling, and it's very unfortunate that you could see that on the same exact show as what we saw, what else we saw tonight, which is pure garbage. You know I am a optimistic kind of person. You know, I try to look at the glass half full when it comes to wrestling just because I've been such a diehard wrestling fan for so long that I don't really know another way to look at the business. Orton and McIntyre is your saving grace for SummerSlam because that match should be fantastic because both of them are in their stride as performers right now. And if tonight's promo exchange was any kind of indication, the next three weeks leading up to SummerSlam are going to be fire on the microphone as well. You ready, well, you ready yeah. to hit the matches, Tony? Do it. All right, opening contest, United States Championship match. MVP takes on the returning from neck injury. COVID! <laughs> Sorry, I got to get that cough checked out. Apollo Cruz. Apollo picks up the victory in approximately 10 minutes with the push-out powerbomb. I'm glad Apollo was able to get the win here. I like the fact that they're going to keep the title on him. I mean, as good as MVP has been in this role over the course of the last couple of weeks, MVP's purpose should be to put over younger talent while he's there this time around. That being said, Apollo needs a better finisher. Yeah, I I mean that's you know that's that's I think that's mostly opinion based. I don't really care either way. I like a sit out power bomb and Apollo makes it look good. I will give credit here because I didn't expect much coming from this match when it was booked and uh, MVP MVP more than held his own. Apollo looked great and um, I I thought this was I'm almost positive I thought this was the best match on the card. Um, a close second was Shayna versus Sasha before you know that segment went to hell. <laughs> Um, I think that they did really well, and I think MVP, you know, continues to prove his worth after a very spotty first week back. The Kevin Owens show sees the reunion of Ruby Riot and Liv Morgan, maybe? 
at least the hand is forced by the Iconics, and we end up getting a tag team match out of it there. I know we said we weren't able to fully discuss segments here, but I noticed that you were especially disappointed in that segment and the way that the Ruby Riot character was treated. I actually disagree with you. That's so I will allow I just, you to explain... I'll allow you to explain your side of the Ruby Riot thing, and then I'll give you mine. I'm not a fan of this. I'm not saying this in a chauvinistic way. In fact, I think it's it's very supportive of women. I don't want to see my women cry on TV uh, without good reason, because that's not what they're portraying themselves to be. And with Ruby Riot, I don't. I, I I get it. The tattoo and all that, and you're going. You're mixing reality with what's on TV, but it wasn't so long ago that you wanted to like murder Liv. First of all, so the tears alone are like crocodile tears. Second of all, she wasn't actually crying, so it was just a bad performance. And lastly, I don't mind if you want your friend back. I don't mind if you think you guys are better with one another. Uh, Ruby has been the what little push she has has led us to believe, or at least me, that she's a pretty badass chick that's willing to, you know, do what she's got to do and not take any shit. And then she's crying to Liv. And, like, Liv, again, we don't know who she is because they could, they could never really hammer that down. Um, so it came off as farcical. It came off as lacking emotion uh, when it should and having too much emotion when it shouldn't. And I just – I am all for them getting back together because they're not really doing much um, on their own. And the Liv experiment didn't really work out, which – Again, as I said in the beginning of the show, it's not the fault of the performer, whether it be Ruby or Liv, because I think that they both will live, especially as grown in spades. But it's just not – it doesn't it, – it, I didn't believe it. That's why. And maybe I am grouping every woman in the same thing by not wanting them to cry on the show. It's not that I don't want them to show emotions. That's not the thing. It's that I don't believe this character would actively cry during this moment. Okay, I'm going to kind of tell this, and I know you hate when I do this, I'm going to kind of tell the story for them in regards to Ruby's change in perspective with the whole list thing. And it was surprising to me to hear them bring her up by name, but I think it kind of ties into this year when they mentioned Sarah Logan. And Sarah's recent announcement that she's pregnant. And it kind of put the whole squad thing into perspective for Ruby. And she realized that maybe there are things worth more in life than just being an individual star. Maybe friends, maybe family is more important. And I do appreciate that it was Kevin Owens is the guy to kind of bring them back together, together given Owens' history of fucking over tag team partners. Nothing? Well, I mean, I, I don't, I, I, you know how I feel. I don't, they, that could have been presented. That, that's information that they could have used, and I would have believed that over anything else that was presented. Um, it's not my job to fill in the gaps for them. And Kevin Owens saying um, Sarah Logan moved on, well, no, she got, she got fired. I'm not saying that they have to say that on TV, but it's kind of a little bit of a revisionist history. Um, but if they are going to mention her, then, yeah, use that. Your idea isn't a bad one. It's not a bad idea at all. I think that that would have worked. And in some cases, I think the WWE should trust their audience to fill in the blanks. But in most cases, like this one, that is not a blank. That is a complete omission of anything that would have made this interesting and believable. So I don't disagree with you. 
I think that that would have been a solid piece of, uh, you know, um, exposition. But they didn't do that, and I'm not grading them on what they didn't do. I'm grading them on what you they just, did do. You just, yeah, you just hate the fact that I, um, you just hate the fact that I fill in the story for them on occasion here, because we shouldn't have to do that as fans. Right. And it, that's the thing. They, I want them to trust us to pick up what they're putting down, but they have to put it down first, you know? What did you think of the match itself? It only goes two minutes and 23 seconds. Yeah. If I recall, I don't, I, I remember not caring about it at all. I think the problem is, is you can't set up this huge reunion storyline and then have the match go two minutes and 23 seconds. <clears throat> yeah, you know, I'm not I'm, okay, saying... now, I, now I remember. They, I, think, I think that especially with the most recent um, outings that the girls have had, I think the Iconics deserve better. <laughs> They've really proven themselves to be a formidable tag team, and in the first minute and a half of this match, they even, they even showed some, like, legit unity. The Iconics also didn't really need to, A, lose in less than three minutes, and B, lose by a roll-up, considering the argument was that they were a better team and a surprise roll-up doesn't prove that at all one way or the other, were the exact words from your Raw report. Yes. I was going to say, that sounds exactly what I wrote. <laughs> yes, that's pretty much how I thought about it. That was their, that was their number I, one gripe until they lose. I do think we are going to see this continue, especially with the fact that Billy and Peyton tried to attack after the match and ended up getting Billy ended up getting laid out with a double STO. Yeah, we'll right. definitely see it. And then also that that right there, that little move, that is my own personal. I don't think anybody would be mad about this, but I was. Y'all have never, to my knowledge, they've never used that before or not in a consistent enough way to where I could say, oh, that's one of their old school moves, or that's what they used to do. So this was just cheesy, like, oh, we're a team now, let's do this. Are we, stick, are we sticking with our strict no Nia Jax conversation on the show policy? Hey, man, if you're down, I'm down. <laughs> All right, let's move on then. Talker. <laughs> Legit. Okay, let's not, let me ask you this. Would you rather talk Nia Jax or 24-7 title? How about you hate Nia and I hate the 24-7 and we just move on? Okay, fair enough. Nia sucks. The segment sucks. The only thing he did is make Pat Buck look like a bitch. Can you give me some information on that guy? Should I know who he is? Um, sort of, kind of, ish. He used to run a wrestling promotion up in New. He used to run okay, a wrestling promotion up in New York that worked with Impact. Okay. I, I'll look up the name once we're done, and I'll send it to you because I don't remember off the top of my head. But he used to run a wrestling promotion, and then he got signed as an agent, and here we are. All right, because she, I mean, her little joke of, like, you know, a wrestler who never made it, so it's trying to do this, this, and this. So it's like, well, if nobody knows who he is, and that doesn't really matter. <laughs> like, like, that's not really, who cares? <laughs> like, if they did that to Jamie Noble, I think he'd be pissed. I think... 
do you think that this is one of those situations where they kind of expounded where they didn't need to expound instead of doing it where they should have in the live in the in the uh, live Sarah Ruby situation? I think that they made Naya out to look like a little bit of a badass. Like, ha, you thought I was going to apologize, but I'm actually here to crush you. Um, and then this guy, who, but, like, we don't care about him. We, so why would we care that Naya crushes him? Why would we care that she, you know, wants to eat him alive? So, no, it just, the segment fell flat. But if there's any good news, it's the possibility that Naya might be gone for a little bit. <laughs> All right, Tony, hate on the 24-7 title. Um, no reason for Truth to steal it other than he wants the title, but Truth is the type of person that would like to earn the title, so that yeah, didn't make any sense. People running around the ring, I hate uh, Akira. Suddenly, Akira's moves don't hurt anyone. How do you go from this badass dude to all of a sudden his punches do nothing to Shelton Benjamin? Just, ugh. I'm okay. I'm good. We're good. The name of the company for Pat Buck was Wrestle Pro. That sounds vaguely familiar. All right, let's move back on to continue Raw here. Sasha and Shayna, you mentioned the match earlier. Let's go ahead and discuss it here. I actually really liked the match, although I didn't care for the disqualification finish when neither woman touched a competitor in the match. I thought that this was another in a long line of proof that Sasha Banks is just above and beyond. And I don't think that that's a disservice to other wrestlers because I don't think they get the same opportunity that she does. But um, this is a, this was a different match and she pulled it off. And I think Shayna also did her part really well too. So I enjoyed everything literally except for that where the DQ didn't involve either one of them. It was just Okay, we're doing this now. They kind of wrote themselves into a corner with this match because they didn't really want to give a finish for the two girls in the ring, and that's why we had the bullshit finish outside of the ring. I did notice that you only gave this match one star, Tony. I think you're missing a couple of stars for a Thoster match. Yeah, one would say that, but, I mean, the DQ finish really pissed me off, and the rest of the show was just, you know... I did want to quickly mention the backstage segment where Shayna straight up starches Sasha with a right. Yeah. Jeez. That looked fucking snug. (laughs) All right, let's move on. Back-to-back matches between the Street Profits and the Angel, they don't really have a tag team name, the Angel Garza Andrade team here. Angel and Angelo Dawkins are up first. Apparently, Montez Ford collapses at ringside. Angelo goes to check on him and gets kicked in the face by Garza for the victory. We go into the second match with that, which is Montez Ford taking on Andrade. And here's an old school reference for you. It is all of a sudden 1996 all over again, and Shawn Michaels is collapsing in the middle of the ring after an enziguri. Technically, it was late 95, but you get my point. <laughs> what, did you think of, well, what did you think of Montez's best Shawn Michaels impersonation? Um, okay, I, 
I actually I'm glad we were talking about this because I want your opinion. I don't feel good about this, and I'm not 100% sure why, because Andrade and Angel have been shown to be pretty dastardly and pretty mean, but I just don't see them doing this. And, and that's that's why I'm a little, like, not – it wasn't that big. First of all, hats off to Ford, who I think did a great performance. Um, it looked legit. I You know, it looked scary. It looked like something to worry about. But – I just I don't know why Zelina and the other two would do something like this, put somebody else in danger when I don't know, I, I don't I could be wrong, but I just don't see that in their character. Um, I will say though that Bianca removing the earrings and then getting after Zelina, like that that was a cool little moment. All right. Touching a couple of different things here. One, Angel Garza Ladies Man is a storyline that I think could carry raw for decades. <laughs> Even if even if I literally don't care about the fact that the chick was on The Bachelor, congratulations. Who wants to date the whore? Yeah, I didn't even put her anyway. in the report on principle. B, I agree with you. I think it's in poor taste. I think doing an, a situation like this, and especially with them coming out and saying that Montez was poisoned, I think it's in poor taste, and I think it's something that you know how they always say that they don't do murder and stuff in the WWE? Technically speaking, you attempt to poison somebody, you're trying to kill them. Yeah. So I took great issue with the fact that that they ended up going that route there, and especially given that, yeah, okay, so Andrade and Angel are weasels. We kind of acknowledge that. But at the same time, they're competitive weasels. They want to win, they don't want to have to stoop to those kind of means in order to win. Will they grab the ropes? Hell yeah. Will they put their feet on the ropes? You better fucking believe it. Will they poison you? Really? Yeah. And, you know, even if they defend uh, saying that it was just Lelina, like, I don't really see her doing that either. I have not been impressed by Bianca on the main roster. That being said, when she took the earrings off, that felt as real as humanly possible on this show. That felt realer than Raw Underground. Because <laughs> you knew she was about to walk that trick to steal a line. Yeah, right. I, think that, I think that we're getting there eventually. So we actually do have another non-wrestling segment to discuss, and it's your main event segment that wasn't underground. Rollins, Tom Phillips. <laughs> I'm going to need you to go ahead and take over here because I feel a coughing fit coming on. Okay. So... There's, like, multiple layers to this because on one level, Seth Rollins going to Todd Phillips and doing what he did was super annoying because it's just, like, of all the times that Phillips has talked shit about Seth, this is the one time that upset Seth Rollins. So it kind of came off as, like, hokey and just not eh, fully fledged, you know? Um, but... 
one cannot deny how badass Samoa Joe is. Okay? Um, first of all, him leaning back in his chair, tapping his fingers like, all right, dude, that's enough. Like, you're picking on the skinniest dude on this announce table. Like, you need to stop. And then eventually standing up. And then just, like, you know, doing what he did. I, it's so badass. Badass Joe is badass. So it's, like, forgivable. Everything before that, it was like, you know, it is because Joe is about to kick some ass. Joe's going to kill you. So I enjoyed that. Real quick. Um, Dominic. Real, yeah, real quick to that. Joe's line at the end of it when he started, well, once he stood up and pointed towards the ring and said, so here are the two things that are about to happen right now. You're going to call off your little disciple before he gets hurt, and you're going to go back into the ring so you can make your proclamation. Did you listen? Okay, you've been reviewing AEW over the course of the last couple of weeks. Did you have the AEW with Eddie Kingston on it for his TNT Championship match? Yep. Buy or sell. Eddie Kingston, Samoa Joe, same level of credibility when it comes to what they say. Because you genuinely believe what they say. I mean, I feel like I believe Joe just a little bit more. Um, <laughs> the dude's just a but bad in regards, and, and like, was he But in regards to that whole, Just real quick, in regards to that whole thing there, though, it's one of those things where I may not be able to convince you that everything you see is real, but I will damn sure convince you that I'm real. Yeah, man, Joe just... Joe just has it. He just, he made, it, that one segment made me miss him. The only thing I didn't like was him going, like, back on commentary. That was a little weird. But I could see it as he want, he just really wanted to talk some shit. Um, Dominic, poor guy. I think that he's unfortunately saddled with a insurmountable uh, amount of pressure. Um, he's Rey Mysterio's son, you know, so... The dude can do a 619, and people are going to be like, well, he didn't do it right, or he didn't do it how he should. You know? So I, I really want to give him the opportunity to wrestle before I criticize him in the ring. His promos could use some work for sure, um, but I, I, I want to wait. And, if it, and, and who else but Seth Rollins to pull, you know, get, a, get a good match with him? I think my problem is, is that Dominic's being set up to fail here. And the reason I say that is, is yeah, he's coming off maniacal in these attacks to defend his father. And while we may feel like the storyline is, we may feel like the storyline is hokey to get there, it's understandable of a son's vengeance. Yeah. <laughs> Where does Dominic that's go from why, here? That's, that's kind of why it sucks, man, that his promos aren't more, you know, fueled by what's really going on. I mean, I feel like he hasn't dug deep and really found that, you know, you tried to blind my father, bro. Like it's more, it happens definitely more in his actions, which I find to be a lot more um, intense than any promo that he cuts. But then again, his dad's very mysterious, and you know every single promo that guy cuts is like, you know, I don't, I don't know, telling a third grader a story. Um, where he goes from there, I don't know. I guess it depends on you know his contract. You know, I mean, he could go. He's another wrestler on the roster. He can go anywhere. It doesn't necessarily have to be. Ray Mysterio's son versus this person. So, hard to say. But that definitely seems to be the route they're taking him. Mm-hmm. I need you to cover for a few seconds, Tony. Um, 
Well, I think that's the bulk of what we're what we went over, um, or what we were supposed to go over. Uh, Raw sucks, all right, and there's not <laughs> there's not a lot of good that I can say about it tonight. Um, it's it's it. I try my hardest not to compare AEW with WWE, um, and and it's not hard to do that. It really isn't because they're both completely different products. It's not even apples to oranges. It's like you know apples to fucking a red rubber ball. Um, but fortunate thing is, I don't see the WWE wanting to get better. We got news that there was a uh, a teleconference, and Vince McMahon all but admitted that creatively they're kind of bankrupt. Um, but if this is what they decided to do in response to that, I mean, they are just really not on the pulse of anything, man. Okay, I'm back. Right. Sorry, I got I got sick and I ended up having to mute the phone. Well, I, I blame I blame this episode overall. Um, I, I, what I said what I said before you well, after you left was essentially that you know we heard of a phone call that Vince McMahon made uh, the teleconference about him saying he's aware that they could be doing better creatively. And then we get tonight, and it's just, like, really weird because if this is what they think, the direction they, we want us to go, we want them to go, then they're, they're sadly mistaken. <laughs> now, here's the thing about this, and you actually mentioned this specifically in a comment on your Raw report, which is available where? 411maniac.com. Backslash wrestling. The comment that you make is, Something along the lines of imagine having somebody that you want to see do better and knowing that they can do better and they just don't. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There are flashes of brilliance in the booking on this show, Tony. Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton is a flash of brilliance in the booking of this show. Samoa Joe being Samoa Joe is a flash of brilliance in this show. Kevin Owens realizing that going down the road that KO went down leads you in a place that you don't want to be and trying to pass that on to other people is a flash of brilliance in long-term storytelling on this show. It is just surrounded by so much shit. There's a lot of it. The favorite match or moment from this week? Uh, Orton and Drew's exchange Very very well done Very strong And like I said not complete Which is great That means there's more to come I'm going to go with The Fiend's attack on Alexa Bliss Just because of the shock and awe nature of it We haven't seen something like that in a long time And it adds a level of intrigue That hasn't been there in the, uh, the Universal title scene in quite a while you know, I'm not interested in pretty much anything Strowman does, but I am invested in the Fiend still, which, given the way that he's been handled kind of since his beginning, is impressive that I'm still invested. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's Bray. If anyone could do that, it's him. Greg Watry. Take uh, your pick, right? Fuck. I'm going to go with the Raw Underground. Just the entire thing. Every single piece of it, there was, there was so much wrong. There were so many things that just, like, it wasn't even like, oh, you could have done this better. You just shouldn't have done it at all. It was like, 
you know, even if you made it so that like a skit or a segment where MVP Shelton and Lashley went into what they found to be a fight club and just kicked everybody's ass, then it would have been cheesy, but it would have added to their characterization. I still would have been bothered because MVP doesn't strike me as the type of person to do something and not get money out of it. But you could have even explained that. You could have said, like, this is a million-dollar fight, or this is, like, the Kumite, and, like, you know, these are my prize fighters, and you guys don't let me down, and Lashley just murders everybody. But you didn't do that. You did what you did tonight, and it was just horrible. All right, I'm going to toss out an alternative reason for MVP entering the club and wanting to throw hands. You ready? Sure. Because he was pissed off about losing his title earlier in the show. Yeah, I consider that too. But after dressing up and looking all nice and dapper, I just don't I don't see it. Fair enough. Um yeah, I'm pretty much gonna second the whole fight the whole raw underground thing. Like I said earlier, I'm no fan of MMA and the only thing worse than MMA is fake MMA. This should be fun. Overall rating for tonight's episode of Raw. Uh, Sasha Banks looks great. Um, MVP and Apollo did awesome, so I gave it a 2 out of 10, and I stand by that. I'm going to be a little bit more generous than you are, but not a lot. I'm giving it a 4, the Bret Hart special. Because I do think we've seen worse. I, I do think we've seen worse overall top to bottom episodes of Raw. But that Raw Underground may be in line for one of the worst segments of the year. Yeah, we already yeah. gave our rating for SmackDown. Obviously, that carried the week in terms of overall performance here. But who was your actual MVP for the week in terms of WWE programming? Um, I'm going to say Randy Orton. I think the boy was on tonight. And like I said before, He's somewhat um, not wrong, you know. I think right now I side more than more with Orton than I do with uh, Drew. But that's just because of my firm belief of nobody owes anybody anything. <laughs> I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Kevin Owens. And I know that's going to sound weird because Owens was in kind of a throwaway segment with that Kevin Owens show there. But you could tell that there was some genuine belief behind what the Owens character had to say about realizing the mistake and the error of his ways. And then he had the backstage segment with Flair that we kind of glossed over that yeah. where the match with Orton was made for next week. And Owens kind of expounded upon the fact that, yeah, Randy's basically being a, been a shithead. And Owens realizes that he was being a shithead until he saw what it was like and how lonely you end up. Yeah. And Flair looked creepy, man. <laughs> All smiles and shit. I think that wraps us up, Tony. All right. Where can people find you online? Uh, 411mania.com. Is TonyAcero.com still going to be a thing? I'll let you know what it is. All right, because I know that there's another book that's supposed to be coming out later this year, right? Yeah, I did. 
excessive work on that during my break. All right. Not to mention the road trip probably helped too, just going out and seeing the country and giving you different ideas for things to write about as well. Yep. Saw the Grand Canyon for the first first time. It was amazing. Still haven't seen a barber shop in Ohio. We got to work on that one. <laughs> All in due time. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Harry Broadhurst. You can find me on Twitter at HDV Eagle. And if you want to talk to both me and Tony about wrestling, you can find us in the Care Shot Facebook group over on Facebook.com as well. For the Down Since Day One co host, Tony Acero, I'm Harry Broadhurst, thanking you for listening to the reaction, which has been a presentation of the Chair Shot Radio Network online at thechairshot.com. Deuces, bitches. have been listening to the return of The Reaction, a presentation of the ChairShot Radio Network online at thechairshot.com. In addition, you can find us by searching for The ChairShot on Facebook.com and joining our group to talk to all of your favorite members of the ChairShot Radio Network. Harry, Tony, Greg DeMarco, Christopher Platt, Andrew Belaz, and many more. That is over on the ChairShot official Facebook group on Facebook.com. We'll be back at you again next Monday night at 11.30 p.m. with another edition of The Reaction, a presentation of TheChairShot.com. Hit it, Platt. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. Thanks for listening, everybody. We're glad to be back. We hope to talk to you next week.